0: origins of the enneagram on this edition of truth and love I'm Dale Johnson and you're listening to Truth and Love a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face and this week for a second time I am bringing Dr. Rin Cherry to visit us on the podcast to talk about this important subject that's sweeping across Christian evangelicalism in the church, the Enneagram. Ren is our Director of Finances and Donor Relations, and he's an adjunct professor of biblical counseling at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I remind you, he's married to Terry, his wife, and he has two grown children. Jack is at, um, in Aggie Land, He's a Texas AM Aggie. I almost hate to say that, but I love Jack, so I'll I'll say that, and uh, and his uh, daughter Carly, who's married to Daniel, so he's inherited a son-in-law as well, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. I love to to uh, hang out with his family as as well, and so today we're gonna dive in, and I, I we want to get right into this. And as I mentioned last time. This is going to be just informative, I pray, and give you some background and understanding and probably dive a little bit deeper than you ever would have considered or wanted to. But I think this information is very helpful to consider the Enneagram properly. And it should raise some questions as we get into this. Why are we so infatuated with this personality typology within Christian evangelicalism? It does raise the question. And I can't wait for you to hear some of the information. And Rin and I have had, we have some unbelievable conversations. I was his PhD supervisor, so we've been talking about this for several years. And I'm just delighted that we finally come to a place where we can let you guys sort of in on some of that conversation that, that we had. And this is sort of the product of a lot of those conversations. And and I'm excited that we're at this point. So without further delay, we need to get into some of this information. And Ren I want us to talk today about where it came from, what in the world is the Enneagram, and where in the world did it come from? So let's start with that question. What exactly is the Enneagram? Okay, so a a proper explanation of the Enneagram, you
1: first have to make a distinction between the symbol and the personality typology. So the word itself is formed from the Greek words "ennea," which means nine, and "gramma," which means that which is drawn. There have been various nine-pointed symbols throughout history, but the symbol that would currently be identified as the nine-point Enneagram was brought to the Western world by a mystic named G.I. Gurdjieff in the early 1900s. So, few people would dispute that he's credited with bringing the symbol to the Western world. Now, for those who don't know, let's don't skip over this uh, word mystic. It's someone who claims two main things. First, a mystic claims to have attained a level of divine insight
0: or understanding that transcends ordinary human knowledge. That sounds kind of familiar even to Gnosticism, which if your pastor has ever preached through the book of Colossians or something like that, you're familiar with some of these ideas. It's sort of inside knowledge or aha moments that we have from the inside. And it's knowledge that certain people might be privy to, but others may not be privy to. Mm -hmm. So the claim of of a mystic would not end there. The
1: second main claim that a mystic would make is that they communicate directly with the divine or God and eventually become one with God. And so G.I. Gurdjieff was a mystic who supposedly learned of the Enneagram symbol while in the Middle East. But interestingly, Gurdjieff did not apply the Enneagram to personality. Instead, he taught that the Enneagram, he taught it in secret, and he maintained that it gave him and his students an understanding of all things. And so that's the
0: symbol. Most of the debate has been about the origin of the symbol and what it was used for. Okay, so before we go any further, let's talk about the nine-pointed symbol, okay? So that, that's what most people may be familiar with is that nine-pointed symbol and how it became associated with different personality types. So, so give us some insight on that. Okay, so the origin
1: of the personality typology that is now so closely associated with the Enneagram symbol can really be traced back to two men, a Bolivian named Oscar Ichazo and a Chilean named Claudio Naranjo, in the 1960s and 70s. Naranjo was a psychiatrist who trained during the 1960s under Fritz Perls. Some of our listeners would recognize Fritz Perls as the originator and developer of Gestalt therapy. This is significant because a basic assumption of Gestalt therapy is that people can self-regulate themselves when they become self-aware and other-aware. So this helps them understand what's happening in and around them. I cannot overstate the connection of self mastery and self knowledge in the development of the enneagram. So what Claudio Naranjo did was to take nine personality types that he developed in conjunction with the Chazo and overlay them onto the nine-pointed symbol that Gurdjieff had brought to the Western culture. So then Naranjo began teaching what he termed enneatypes. He started teaching this to Jesuit priests in the 1970s out in Berkeley, California. In fact. Duranho wrote a book titled Enneatype Type Structures, Self-Analysis for the Seeker. This book was really a transcription of cassette tapes of his teachings on the nine categories
0: of neurosis that he had overlaid onto the symbol. And this is so important when we're critiquing something is to understand the history of it because one of the things we cannot miss in what you just said, Ren, that I think is so important is they're talking about self-awareness or other awareness. And that takes some sort of knowledge to be self-aware, and they're claiming that this happens outside of a Christian system even though somehow we're using it now in a Christian system but it's interesting to me when when we talk from biblical counseling when we talk about that these other systems of secular psychology and secular psychiatry are hijacking a biblical view of sanctification, or in this case, they're hijacking a biblical view of the work of the Holy Spirit. This is where Dr. Adams started in the 1970s, where he recognized that we are missing the role of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what you're describing here is they are building a system that helps us to understand ourselves, know ourselves, come become more familiar with ourselves in in explanatory details and labels, as you described, that's outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. And To be Christian, we have to be very cautious because it's redefining the the work that the Bible clearly says is uh, the role of the Holy Spirit to do in a person's life. And so as you describe this, what I'm hearing is, is purely secular psychology, even a little bit of the history of psychiatry come out. So how did this symbol and typology make its way into Christian institutions and Christian churches? Because we start with mystic influence coming out of the Middle East. And then now a couple of guys start to overlay their gestalt therapy and and some of their own uh, ideas about personality types that they call the enneatypes. And that doesn't seem like it should be on the the top shelf for churches, right? So how in the world did this get into the hands of churches and institutions?
1: Okay, so the the Jesuit priest that Claudio Naranjo personally taught, they began using the Enneagram personality typology at their own spiritual retreats in the late 1970s. Now, again, Naranjo instructed them, this was to be secretive, and nothing was to come out of those meetings in written form, certainly. so. But among the, the Catholic priests that were being taught this personality typology were two particular Jesuit priests, uh, namely Don Rizzo and Father Richard Rohr. And they both began writing on the Enneagram. Rizzo really went more in the direction of developing online Enneagram-type testing, while Rohr wrote a book called Discovering the Enneagram, an ancient tool for a new spiritual journey. And he wrote that book in 1989. So now we see this progression of Catholic priests embracing the Enneagram and spiritualizing the secular personality typology. It is interesting that Richard Rohr would eventually retitle his original Enneagram book some 20 years later as The
0: Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. That's important because he wrote a book previously And you're saying it's basically the same information, just sort of reworked. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, part of his
1: motivation that he
0: stated is that he became convinced that the Enneagram
1: had Christian roots, and so he Mm -hmm. wanted to retitle the book to reflect that. And so we see this clear path now that was cut that enabled a secular, non-Christian personality typology to be labeled as spiritual, even Christian. And in this retitled Enneagram work, Rohr himself claimed that the Enneagram had Christian roots.
0: Okay, so that's super interesting, and uh, hopefully you're, you're tracking with us here. And, and what I find so interesting about that is where this came from. And if we describe ourselves as being people of the book, right, the people of the Bible— Uh, we see these parts missing. And essentially what Rohr is trying to describe is that these personality types, he begins to reflect in some way in the Christian worldview. But as you mentioned, it came out of non-Christian personality typology, and that is troublesome. So why do the Enneagram works of a Catholic priest matter so much to modern evangelicals today? Okay, here is why
1: Richard Rohr is important in all of this. He personally taught and mentored Enneagram authors Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile, who wrote a book called The Road Back to You. And he also personally mentored Christopher Hertz, who wrote a book called The Sacred Enneagram. Mm -hmm. These authors dedicated their books to Rohr. They quote him extensively throughout, and they consider him the theologian of the Enneagram system. These Enneagram books have been wildly popular among evangelical Christians.
0: And what you're saying is that these authors have helped to make it wildly popular among evangelicals. Yeah. I yeah. mean so much so that it's even been labeled as a Christian tool.
1: I think it's important here to define some terms, namely evangelical. So the the secular world tends to broadly group religions that have some place for Jesus loosely as quote Christian. But evangelical Christianity is distinct from other religions as it relates to the salvation of man. So first Evangelicalism maintains salvation involves repentance of a life of sin against a holy God and saving faith in the person and the work of Christ alone. Mm -hmm. So there's no other means available, and there's no other means required for man to be reconciled to his creator. Now, Richard Rohr, he would not label himself as an evangelical Christian, but because Rohr has so strongly influenced Enneagram authors, that are so popular among evangelicals, the Enneagram, at least as evangelicals know it, is inextricably linked to the theology of the man, Richard Rohr.
0: Okay, so it's been labeled as a Christian tool, and it's being popularized uh, in a lot of different places, institutions, and churches that even claim more conservative theology, and, uh, and that's interesting. So the history doesn't necessarily rule it out, right? But there are some things we have to consider. So what should Christians think about this idea of the Enneagram and its typologies? I mean, what's the big deal? Should we consider using it? Is it something that we, we should discard altogether? I mean, how, how are we to think about this as Christians? Well, discerning Christians think about the Enneagram
1: just like they do about any theory, practice, system, or teacher that they encounter. We must ask, what does this system say about God, about man, about sin, about salvation? In other words, what is the problem and what is the solution according to this tool or system? How does the theology, the anthropology of any teaching or system compare to the truth of the Bible? We must train ourselves to ask these questions of everything. And so if we're going to give fair analysis of this personality typology called the Enneagram, we must examine the theology of Richard Rohr and other Enneagram authors that he's influenced. This is important because Rohr, again, he personally mentored and influenced these specific Enneagram authors who are popular among evangelical Christians today. Now, I, I think that many Christians, pastors in particular, have not been able to take the time to investigate the underlying theology and anthropology of the Enneagram. They haven't done their own due diligence on the Enneagram subculture that has now developed in many churches. And so now many pastors find That there are people who are in their congregations who are somewhat taken by the Enneagram system, and those pastors honestly don't know what to do. They don't know what to make of this personality typology. So, I was able to spend time investigating the theology of Richard Rohr, as well as the Enneagram authors that he's influenced, namely Suzanne Stabile, Ian Crone, and Christopher Hertz, and my research revealed several points of theological and anthropological concern. You see, these two things a doctrine of God
0: and a doctrine of man are always connected to each other. Yeah, these are the non-negotiable things, right? I mean, we, we can't employ systems and it be utilized in a Christian perspective that are d- distinctly different and promote something different Than our non negotiable doctrines from the scripture, right? A doctrine of man, very clearly, or a doctrine of God and who he is. But, But I understand we've been influenced by pragmatism, right? And so we have the tendency to just sort of invite these things in if we think they're quote unquote useful. But we can never disconnect theology and practice. So what we practice holds some sort of theological implication behind it. And this is a part of what you're trying to describe. So, okay. If Richard Rohr is credited as being this Enneagram theologian, does he have specific views on God? That's important for us to understand because he's promoting these ideas from that perspective. He's called the theologian of the Enneagram. And are, are you just making just some wild inferences about his theology? To tell us why that's important. Richard Rohr is quite clear about his view on God. He unashamedly holds to a
1: panentheistic theology. In fact, he goes out of his way to make sure that he is
0: not confused With being a pantheist. All right, pantheist and panentheistic theology, those were two big words. And I think we need to pause for a second and just say, what in the world do we mean by panentheism? And what's the difference between that and pantheism? Rohr explicitly
1: states in his New York Times bestseller, 2019, called The Universal Christ, that he is a panentheist. That is, he maintains and defends a theology about God being in everything. That's panentheism. He's careful to distinguish his panentheism from pantheism, which maintains that God is everything or that everything is God. So Rohr maintains that God is in everything, but that God is also outside of all things. That is, he's in the rocks, he's in the moon, he's in you and me, your pet, your coffee, and so on. And why this matters is that, according to Rohr, Everything is divine in nature. There's no need for redemption because everything is already divine. Again, these are not mere conclusions that one draws from reading Rohr. These are explicitly stated claims that he himself makes. But Rohr's theology is in direct conflict to an orthodox evangelical doctrine of God. We see clearly in the Bible that God is holy. He is distinctly set apart from his creation— God alone is God. The triune God of the Bible shares his divinity with no one or no thing. And so we see that at its most basic level, Roar's theological
0: teaching is contradicted by Scripture. Okay, well, we're asking our people today to put on their thinking cap, no doubt, but this is how we have to be good discerners of the systems that we try to employ or that we consider. So as we go further, does Roar have some type of explanation for how he thinks God came to dwell in all things, because that's an important piece of the puzzle as well.
1: Yes. Richard Rohr teaches that the first of several incarnations occurred at creation. That is, God entered into all of creation at the event of creation. So we see that this first incarnation provided the event that Rohr's panentheism requires in order for God to enter into all creation. Is this interesting or alarming to anybody besides me? But what, what does the Bible teach? Well, first, we should define incarnation consistent with orthodox evangelical theology. Incarnation can be defined as the act in which the Son of God added humanity to his deity and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person. Scripture testifies that the incarnation occurred only once and that the incarnation was exclusive to the man, Jesus of Nazareth." So very clearly, Rohr's Enneagram theology is in direct conflict with scripture.
0: It's not biblical. Now, hey, we're running out of time today, and I hope this is as interesting to you as it is to me, because we need to understand these things very clearly. These are things that we are adopting, these personality types into our churches, into our institutions, and they have troublesome background for us to consider. We need to pause for a moment and take a breath and understand these issues because I love what you're doing here, Ren. You're you're giving exactly what he states is his own personal theology and view of man, and then you're helping us to see biblically that those things cannot be true and the Bible also be true at the same time. They're they're not complementary. It's not supportive. It has a different goal. So I, I don't want our discussion to end here. And so I want to make sure that, that you are uh, available. We will do a third podcast um, talking about this very important subject, the Enneagram. We'll continue our discussion about Richard Rohr and his views of Scripture. And then we'll talk a little bit more specifically about a theological appraisal of this uh, personality type of the Enneagram that I think you should be aware of. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, I want to use this opportunity with some of the things that, that Ren is teaching us about the Enneagram. And there are always new things, new systems coming out, and new ways that the culture tries to approach and label man and try to understand God and, and who we are and how we understand man's problems and so on. These systems are never ending. We can see that in counseling systems where it starts very small and it grows to the point to where now there are definitely over 450 named types of counseling systems. And it's no different when we look at these personality typologies. Uh, we're going to see these things continue to grow as you know, improving ways to explain our self-awareness or who we are and give ourselves labels and that sort of thing. That's why I think it's so important that even for those of you who are certified, making sure you're connected to some of our training centers and that you're getting ongoing training and that you challenge yourself to be trained uh, further, because of sometimes these new systems and, and hearing teaching on things not not just the enneagram, but but many different things like it that are very popular in our culture today. CBT, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy, or EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. These are new types that are becoming very popular, and even people are wanting to use them in the church and. It's important for you to maintain good training, that you're keeping up with these things, you're thinking about these things biblically from a from a biblical theological perspective. And so I wanna to commend to you our training centers and we now have uh, over 75 training centers around the US who are doing training on cyclical basis. And we now have a website that promotes our training centers and the training that they do. And I want to encourage you to go check that out and you'll find out the topics that they're talking on could be things that that you need some continuing education on. You need to revisit some key principles to to sharpen your skills. I want to encourage you to do that. And you can find out about our training centers, the training that they offer at our website, biblicalcounseling.com.